Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women business owners, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gomes. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about finding success through self-acceptance. We're chatting with yoga teacher and body positivity advocate, Jessamine Stanley, one of the leading voices in wellness and the co-founder and chief creative officer of The Underbelly, an inclusive wellness community and streaming app for digital yoga classes. Welcome to Sisters Inc. Jessamine, and thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for having me, Elisa. I'm honored to be here. I wanna take it back to the beginning for those people out there who don't know your story. What first attracted you to yoga and what were your experiences like developing your own personal practice and then becoming a yoga teacher? Mm. I have to tell you that I was never interested in yoga. Like I definitely thought that it was something that was exclusively for thin white women. I didn't think it had anything to do with me. And I was in graduate school and a really good friend of mine was like, you should come to yoga. I was going through a period of depression that I think is happens to most of us at some point in life for whatever reason. And um, so she told me to go to a yoga class with her. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I had actually tried yoga once when I was in high school and absolutely hated it. So I was like, I know this is not going to be for me. But um, what ended up happening when I went to class was that I noticed all these different ways that I say no to myself, all these different boundaries and barriers that I created, like deciding the kind of person that I'm allowed to be, the kinds of things that I'm allowed to even try. And especially as a fat person, there are a lot of things physically that I told myself I was not able to do, not capable of doing. And in class, I would have this experience where I'd be like, you know, like, I can't do this. And everybody in the room knows that I shouldn't be doing this. And the teacher can see that. And like, I'm so embarrassed. And I would be like, you know, you could just let yourself be that way. You could just let yourself fall down. Maybe you fall down and it's like really embarrassing and everybody sees, and maybe that's okay. Maybe you're allowed to be that too. And that idea of being more than just the person who gets the right answer, like being able to make a mistake and that be good even, that was transformational for me. And I kept practicing yoga during that time at the studio that I was at, literally just um, the only reason I was able to financially afford it was that I had a work study to the studio. So I had to help clean the studios, which was you know my service, but also I was able to practice for free. But um, when I decided to leave graduate school and, um, and moved to Durham, North Carolina, I did not have a job. I did not have a plan. And so I could not afford to practice yoga in studios in Durham. And during that time, a bunch of sad things happened. I talk about it a little bit in my first book, Everybody Yoga, but um, life was life and and I needed to find a way to connect to myself again. And I started practicing yoga at home. And my home yoga practice was really where I found a sense of home within myself. Um, I found that I was able to 
move more freely and um, and be more confident in myself when I was not surrounded by other people and distracted by other people. And I started sharing my yoga practice on social media because I wanted to connect with other yoga practitioners. Um, it's It can be a little bit isolating at home. And so just to be able to see like, am I practicing this correctly? Like who else is out there? But I really didn't have very many people reach out to me like who were yoga practitioners. Mostly I had people reach out who were like, I didn't know fat people could practice yoga. And I was just like, why do you think fat people can't practice yoga? Fat people do all kinds of things all the time. And so I kept sharing my yoga practice and really I keep sharing it because I see that through visibility, there's so much that is offered to all of us. Like just by living my practice, it makes space for other people to live their best lives too. And that has really been the motivator for my teaching practice. Like I became a yoga teacher, really, I really did not want to be a yoga teacher. I would recommend other teachers. I would be like, you don't need for me to come teach you. There are literally thousands of yoga teachers. But what I realized eventually is that really all of us are teaching some form of yoga. Yoga is not just the physical postures that we practice on the mat. Yoga is everything. It's the balance that we find in the moments of life that are most chaotic. And so the way that I process the practice of finding that balance of finding compassion for myself, it might not resonate for everybody, but it might resonate for even one person. And if it can resonate for even one person and that person starts to practice compassion for themselves, and then they reflect that compassion to other people. And then they, another person starts to practice compassion that's how we move the needle as a society to go from a space of operating from fear. Right now we operate collectively from a place of fear to operating from a place of love and compassion. So really my teaching practice is just, I'm gonna live my practice as authentically as possible and I will share it with anyone who cares to be around and make space for other people to do the exact same thing. Excuse me. I think that it's, it's so interesting that you say that, that you didn't want to be a yoga teacher. You didn't feel like you needed to be a yoga teacher. But I was sitting on this side being like, no, we needed you to be a yoga teacher because, you know, I identify so much with what you're saying about being, you know, a black woman in certain rooms or for those of us who aren't thin. I, when I went to my first Pilates class, I was like, I love this machine. I do not love being in a room of like thin white woman with a thin white woman instructor. And I'm certain that everyone is looking at me like, what are you doing here? And literally, what are you doing with your movement? So to have someone who looks like you is a game changer for us. Literally, literally. And it is so crucial that we have spaces that are for us because there's, you know, um, I wrote about this a little bit in Yoke, but my, I had an experience during the book tour for Everybody Yoga where another Black person was like, so how are we supposed to find calm in a room where we're surrounded by white people who have been told to be afraid of us? Like, how are we supposed to be finding Zen or peace? And I was like, 
that is real. That's the whole thing of it, ultimately. That because as a society we're so unwilling to accept our internalized biases, it's really hard to be in a space where like it is truly inclusive. And so it's so crucial for us to have spaces that are for us, by us. What, however you identify being able to come into a space and know that the other people who are in that space feel you and get where you're coming from and are not going to shame you or shame you and, and make space for the healing that is so necessary. You're a yogi who breaks all the stereotypes. You're a fat, black, queer woman and all of those proudly. What did it take for you to come to a place of self-acceptance and to be comfortable with your authenticity? Mm. You know, more than anything, I would say that it is a day-by-day journey. It is not something where, like, I think I've reached any kind of ending point, landing point. I think the older you get, the more there are new experiences to just show you to yourself. So um, because, though, it is that ongoing journey, really the key for me, the key to acceptance is just letting it all be there, letting letting the trash stink. Like we do so much covering up, you know, I'm, I'm using the plural to try to like find comfort. I do so much like trying to cover things up and like make it sound better than it is. And to me, self-acceptance is all about like letting the bad things be bad. Let the good thing, because then the good things can really be good. Letting the trash smell bad makes it easier to accept it because I think that if I try to pretend like something is different than it actually is it's just getting in the way of acceptance it's making it harder to accept it because now I gotta accept the sugar coating and then take the sugar coating off but that process is a process that I have been working for a long time and really it precedes my yoga practice and it started with just trying to accept my fat body, really trying to understand why I have been so ashamed of my body and fearful of the way that it looks to other people. And really recognizing that so much of that shame is just shame that I am carrying. It doesn't have anything to do with another human being. So that's another piece of it is trying to lift the blame, the desire to blame anyone other than myself, and really just looking in the mirror whenever I need to find blame for anything. And in that space of looking in the mirror and accepting the blame and letting the trash sink, finding beauty in the naivety of life, understanding that you know, it's okay to like, it's okay to do something bad. It's okay to have the wrong answer. It's okay for something to not be good. And showing myself the compassion that I would show a child or someone that I love deeply, someone whom I would not want to feel pain, that trying to show that kind of affection for myself That's really the key to self-acceptance. And I think that it's something that is so hard to do 
but seems like really simple and also seems way more fun when you're talking about it on the internet. Like, I think it's self-acceptance sounds like, oh my God, yeah, I'm just going to accept myself before brunch. It's going to be so great. I love it. No, self-acceptance is like every single moment of life questioning, looking deeper, say, like getting it wrong and just being along for the ride. But um, yeah, I mean, I would say that I've been actively obsessed with self-acceptance for at least a decade. I'm so glad these words are being recorded and will live forever somewhere on the internet because as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that that is not a privilege that the world often gives Black women or a luxury that we give ourselves to say it's okay to have the wrong answer. It's okay to not be good at something. Like, that's that's almost radical for us. It is, literally. And it's something that, like, I think that in practicing self-acceptance, it is the honor that I am able to bestow my, my ancestors, that this is their legacy, that they would have toiled so that I can be in a place of like of thinking you know what actually all of this is good and I don't need to explain myself to anybody like I've watched my my mother and my aunts and my grandmas like literally just be in a space of like not being able to do that at all there is no spaciousness for that whatsoever and that it is my duty truly to live into the freedom that they paid for for me and it's not, um, you know, it's not like a fun thing. I don't think legacy is really about being, having fun. It's just about being. Wow. Um, I think that no matter what background an entrepreneur comes from or what industry they're trying to leave a mark in, um, part of starting a new business is facing your insecurities. Do I have what it takes to do this? Am I going to fail at this? Um, but I would imagine for you being so different than what we've always been shown as the picture of health or especially the picture of yoga, that's a whole lot of added layers. So how did you get over your fears and find your confidence as an entrepreneur? Mm. Man, you know what? I think so. Okay, um, my what I did before this life in my in my past life, I worked in nonprofit arts organizations, and the thing in nonprofits always is the mission. What is your mission? Why are you doing this? And I think for profit businesses have this too, obviously, but mission is the Mission is the end game for a nonprofit. If you don't have a mission, then you do not need to exist. And that has always been my motivating force. It's like, what is my mission? Why am I doing this? Like, I would not have become a yoga teacher were it not for an extremely odd chain of events that pushed me. And then it was like, I literally had no, like the universe was like, you will do this thing. And so operating from that place of sacred calling mission has been paramount for me to feel any sense of confidence in my work because I am constantly, even to this day, bombarded by the lack of confidence that the world has in me based on me being 
fat and black and queer and unapologetic about all of that and sexual and unwilling to compromise. And I think that knowing that the mission is so strong, engaging with people around the world who are finding themselves, truly seeing themselves and loving themselves. I get feedback from people literally every day who say how much their lives have been altered by the work that my companies do. And that as a motivating force, that is it. I'm just like, how can we make space for more people to feel this? Because that is what, that is the seed of joy. That's the place of ultimate creation. That's where we can bloom from. Like we're in a time of great darkness and sadness. And from that sadness, joy will always bloom, but it has to come from this place where people are able to accept themselves and really love themselves. And that means that ultimately, like the negative things that people say, the, um, the pushback, the, um, the fear that I encounter is really not very important. And if anything, is a space for me to learn and to grow and for the companies to learn and to grow and for us to get better at what it is that we're meant to do. But I don't, um, I don't think that the, a white patriarchal system was ever meant to support anything that I do. And so knowing that fundamentally is also really helpful because it means that I don't need to turn to that as the metric, as the rubric for how we should be creating, that ultimately we're doing a new thing. We're starting a new thing and we're going from there. I love that you just said that because as you were talking, I was like, I'm not shocked, unfortunately, I can't say I'm shocked, but I am disappointed that you are still encountering the world being unconfident in you. I'm like, from the outside, you are the person that has quote unquote made it. Like, ask me to name any other yoga teacher. <laughs> I can't mm. do it. Like, you are it. Like, so the fact that, you know, you have reached this level of success and are still facing these external challenges that you started out with, you know, I was going to say that that's got to be a little bit disillusioning for you, but it's not because you don't expect that. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I got it. I'm into entrepreneurship for the game of it. Like, I love the game. I love just, like, I, I have fun with it. I think it's fun. So it feels like when there's obstacles, like, I will run toward an obstacle. Like, it's fun. I like the challenge. I like to be pushed. And it was, I think, extremely helpful for me that, I was bullied as a kid. And so I've experienced, I experienced a lot of trolling before I was ever on the internet. Like I had the experience of people not believing in me from a young age. And the, the beautiful thing about that, it sucks at the time. I don't want to understate how much it sucks, but the beautiful thing about it is that it requires that you believe in yourself. You can't look to anyone else for it. And ultimately, you never can, because even if you do look to someone else for approval, 
their attention will go elsewhere. And then where will you be? So it's like, I think also that the more that I grow and the more that the companies expand and scale and the more attention that we get, that's gonna generate some kind of feedback that is not nice to receive. But like all of that is just space for growth. And so that, I think I focus on the growth more than what it will take to actually do it. More and more is being said about, you know, how diverse participants feel unwelcomed in wellness spaces, but not that much is said about founders still. Um, so as someone who is a founder in this space, how difficult was it for you to find um, a sense of belonging? And then like um, what I consider like a sense of ownership that yes, this is mine too, and I can teach yoga or I can start a wellness company and do it my way. The really great thing about all of my work is that I have been there in the trenches for all of it so that I own it 100%. There's nobody who I can look at and be like, like, oh, like they, like, I don't, this doesn't really belong to me. I'm like, when you put in the sweat, when, when it's your blood on the line, when you, when it's your budget on the line, when you, like, I went from, when I first started teaching yoga, I was working like, Okay, I was working two jobs that I know of specifically. I had a day job and a night job. And both of them, when I left to start teaching full time, I was like, I'll be back at some point, you know. But I went from that to these companies where that we're stretching across multiple time zones. There are people, so many, I'm blessed to work with so many incredible human beings, creators beyond my imagination. And that all happened because of just swinging the axe and just going back to it every single day and, and not looking to, not looking to anyone else or any kind of system for approval. And that also creates so much opportunity for, um, for growth and creativity, because I think that I think that if I had been more accepted by the mainstream yoga world in particular, that would have really shaped how the underbelly, my wellness community looks. It would have been that, you know, oh, we want to try to fit in in this way, or we like, this is what everybody else is doing. So we should do that. And instead the underbelly is allowed to be exactly what it is, which is a space for all human beings to feel okay about themselves, to do their thing. And that the weirdness of the underbelly, like all of the quirks of it, wouldn't have been allowed to bloom, to grow without being pushed to the sidelines. So I really think that there's just so much power that happens when we stop trying to find a seat at the table and just make our own table. So speaking of the underbelly, your vision for it is to, quote, create and foster a community for everyone, including those who have ever felt overlooked, underserved, and left out by the wellness industry. How have you gone about creating that inclusive community? And what challenges have you faced and how have you overcome them? The biggest thing with the underbelly and specifically with the yoga classes and meditation classes that can be found there is that 
everything about your body is perfect exactly as it is right now. So you don't need to make any changes. And in fact, let's celebrate the parts of your body that you have been taught, most taught to be ashamed of. And that process of actually letting that shine on camera for me has been very uh, informative and healing. And, um, and it means like letting burps come out, farts come out, you, my belly is flowing everywhere. We're talking about moving butt cheeks out of the way, like really being, really keeping it real about what it is to be a human being and what the human body does and not making it where you should feel ashamed for literally anything that your body does. And all of that together creates an environment where anyone, regardless of time zone or regardless of age or ability or what you look like or what, who you are in love with, none of that matters. You can find yourself in this space because it's okay to let it all hang out. And I think that the biggest challenge for me is always believing in myself and believing in the, in the power of the brand and really the necessity of the brand. And that is something that I don't think that there is a, um, a cure for or a magic fix. It's just every day getting more and more confident in my ability to just keep putting my foot forward and stepping forward. And there are many obstacles. I think when you start, when you start a company that's in an industry that you know nothing about, like I became a tech entrepreneur with virtually no tech experience beyond being on social media. And so that is an obvious obstacle to development. But at the same time, like it's a space of growth and excitement and it's fun. It's like, it's nice to step outside your comfort zone every once in a while. So that that part of the challenge, I'm just kind of like, nah, you do it. But I think the biggest challenge is really believing that um, that you deserve to take up space and and should take up space. And that's something that I think a lot of people um, deal with, especially Black women, because we are told that we're not allowed to be in spaces or that, that we should be ashamed or that we need an explanation or that someone else should co-sign for us. And so, but that process of knowing that we're the only ones that can co-sign and ultimately like all the power resides in us, that is the space of putting on the crown. It's stepping into the queendom. And in order to have anything happen, you have to be willing to, to take up that scepter. So I wanna end with your advice for black women entrepreneurs as you were just talking about it. We get so many messages from the world at large that we're not enough of something or the other, that there's something about us that needs fixing. So if you could give them one tip to help them combat or counteract that programming so that we can accept ourselves and focus on success as we define it, what would that be? My biggest tip is stop thinking about what other people think of you. Stop looking at other people. Stop worrying about it. And 
I say it like it's simple and it is not. It is the absolute hardest thing and you have to do it over and over and over again. And it sucks because it's always the people who are closest to you that leave the strongest impressions. So it's the people that you love the most that you got to stop listening to. But we accidentally hold each other down out of fear of what will happen to us. And I think that sometimes we look so hard for community with other people that we forget the community that can be found within ourselves and the power that is emanating from within ourselves. So stop thinking about what other people think of you. Let them do what they're doing. And whatever they're doing is perfect because whatever you're doing is necessary and you can do it. And just by virtue of you being here on this earth, that is proof that it should be done. There's no one else like you. No one else can do what you can do. You are here on purpose. You happened on purpose. Thank you so much, Jessamine, for sharing. And usually I say your small business success story, but not just your small business success story, but that was like a whole word that we all needed to hear. So thank you for that. Everyone out there, please take a look at the company website, theunderbelly.com. You can also follow them on Facebook and Instagram at The Underbelly Yoga or subscribe to her YouTube channel, Jessamine Stanley. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise writers, editors, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. And if you like what you hear, show us some love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on and spread the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening.